0: everybody! Welcome back to our 34th episode of the Carbide Podcast presented by Woody's Traction. For those of you who are able to ride right now, I'm super jealous, but solid chance that the snow is super thin and you're bending carbides and rounding out studs left and right. So head over to Woody's Traction.com and get yourself dialed in for when those conditions improve. I was super stoked when I had the opportunity to interview Robbie Malinowski. Like a lot of you, I grew up watching him as an elite racer. So it's awesome to dive into some of those cool stories from his perspective. Robbie's also a very straight shooter and always tells it like it is. So from his years with Ola, Boss Racing, and even in the booth today, this one's packed full of honest and candid conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy it.
1: Does he get him? Yes, Robbie Malinowski did. Malinowski is your new race leader.
0: Malonowski will take the win. It was the Robbie Malinowski show, hands down. And welcome back everybody to the Carbide Podcast presented by Woody's Traction. Appreciate you guys tuning in as always. Special guest in studio this afternoon. He's a pro open and pro stock champion in Snowcross. He had various roles as team manager for different teams over the years, and these days, he's arguably the voice of Snowcross, as he's in the booth every weekend with ISOC. He's Robbie Malinowski.
1: How (laughs) are we doing, Robbie? Doing really good. Take it easy on the voice of Snowcross. (laughs) I don't know about that, but I'm trying really hard, working at it, trying to get better, trying to make a a better product to everyone.
0: You know, we'll get into that at some point here, but you know, again, it's it's cool to have former riders in the booth just for it brings a whole different element, whole different you know view of the sport. So it's it's cool. You're doing a bang up job. Oh, thank you. So let's get into kind of just the entire story of your career, if we can. So, you know, as going through the timeline, there's this common theme of you Canadian snowcross guys, where it's you, Blair, Trombley, Ian Hayden. You guys all start as moto guys, and then you just happen to get on a sled at some point in time and then be really talented. So did you start as a moto guy? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Started as moto, probably 11 years old, first time racing a dirt bike. And then, uh, I don't know. It was like snowmobile racing. Wasn't even on the like spectrum. It was way off. I wasn't even thinking about it. And then, um, kind of got to the end of my teens and was struggling with moto, trying to do anything just wasn't good enough. And Mm -hmm no fault of anyone else's, but, uh, yeah, it was like to the end of graduating high school, had nothing going on. And then just last minute was like, Hey, let's go try a snowcross race, hated it right away. It was miserable. And, uh, but then I kind of stuck it out and yeah, it slowly kind of built from there. Okay.
0: Okay. So you said there wasn't much of a major moto scene growing up. Was it just like local series or were you like chasing some of the nationals or what was the story?
1: Yeah, it was all like uh provincial is mm-hmm. what we call it. And then, um, did a few nationals and, uh, had some decent rides, but nothing special. And just, I wasn't training. I was 19 years old, 18 years old chasing girls and drinking. And you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't very, very, um, you know, locked down at that age. So, (laughs) you know, I kind of got what I got or got out of it what I put into it. And that wasn't much
0: fair, fair.
1: I mean, if you're at that
0: age, like what were you looking at just like kind of career trajectory wise, like obviously, Sounds like you're like, I'm not going to make a living riding dirt bikes, but like, what was, if we don't get on a snowmobile, what's life going to look like at that time?
1: Yeah. Well, you you either go to university in Saskatchewan or in Canada, and then you go take some bullshit job (laughs) and then, or you go to like oil rigs and, uh, you go work real hard and it's pretty dangerous and Mm -hmm. you can make pretty good money. Um, or you could go construction or something like that. So I wasn't going to go to school Mm -hmm. and I... Probably would have went and did, I did a little bit of oil stuff right after high school. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of a bust. And then, well, one thing that did come up was I was, I moved down to California right after high school, like okay. the summer after. And uh, before that I worked at a, like surveying oil and it was, uh, made a, a bunch of money so I could go down there, spent three months and was hanging out doing that it was a mechanic for a guy named Zeb Armstrong okay. and uh privateer. And, um, we ended up, it just never worked out. He wasn't paying me any money and it was like one of those bullshit deals. So I like got out of there and my dad called me out of the blue and he's like, Hey, you can, I'll buy a snowmobile. You have to work at my shop. And then if it goes well or whatever, hopefully then you can get some sponsorship and kind of go from there. Cause he saw it as like a good opportunity. He never, he always thought like the moto stuff was just, I was too far off mm. So looking back, he was pretty accurate. He he knew. And um, so, yeah, we did that one more year, and that was the 2001. Okay. And the Articat, 2001 Articat was really good, but it had those shocks on it that were, like, blowing apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they were called the Dynamic. <laughs> that,
0: that, that was the last year of the the
1: pre cat. Yep, and it was right, a yep. cross-link. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was a mess, but, you know, we made it work. And the sled was awesome, and I really excelled that year and really um um took off locally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was like kind of the start of it. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, was uh <clears throat> did the rest of your family ride motor or were they power sports guys or
0: what was the, what yeah, was the story? Yeah. Yeah,
1: my older brother Randy, he he was the one that kind of got me into racing and kind of pushed all that and then when he turned like 16, he wanted to go chase girls and have a cool car and kind of fell out of the moto scene and then I was just young and I was four years younger so I was I was all in riding and mm-hmm. all I wanted to do was ride a dirt bike. And then, uh, my younger brother, Russ, he, he rode as well, but he wasn't that into it. And then when I got later into my teenage years, he started coming on and, and liking that. And then I was going through that transition where I like moved down to Flor or California and was kind of getting out of it. And, uh, he really excelled. So mm, gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. And my dad, he always, he rides street bikes and he's always been involved.
0: How you ended up as a pro snow cross racer and your brother ends up basically on like the polar opposite. Yeah.
1: Never make, never catches. Well, money. I'll tell you what, when you're in Canada, you have seasons that are like pretty harsh. Right. Um, so in the summertime you wakeboard a lot and you get behind a boat a lot. So that actually isn't that crazy because you have like a lot of passion going and a lot of try there. And then, uh, as far as like the snow cross side of things, I, I mean, yeah, that's more common for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, on my end, but yeah, it was it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh,
0: where do we get here? So, I mean, you kind of mentioned getting into it, uh, at least locally, on the snowcross scene and, and getting pretty good and having some success. Yeah. Was there a national circuit up there that was at least legit at that time? Like, was CSRA there yet, or was it still...
1: Yeah, it was never CSRA. There was a thing in Manitoba called the Can-Am series, okay. and uh, Saskatchewan and Alberta had, like... I can't remember what it was called. It was a circuit throughout there. And there was lots of interest, a lot of people doing it. And I mean, the crazy thing was you could go race pro light or semi-pro and have a stock 440 and race all three classes. And I think it was like close to a thousand bucks a class win, Mm -hmm. you know? So if you're walking out of there just shy of $3,000, it was pretty good, especially like coming from moto if you win three hundred dollars you were like <laughs> yeah so it was definitely like that was kind of the aha moment or the light bulb and my dad seen that one too he was like okay we could at least try to generate some some money back in because it is expensive so yeah yeah it seemed like that's kind of a common theme I and mean, that blair kind
0: of says the same thing like you have that little bit of success in snow and at that time there was some pretty good contingency and some pretty good payouts in snow and for some of these moto guys it's like mm. The yeah. snow's looking pretty looking yeah. pretty good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you you don't mind the cold as much when you're getting <laughs> yeah. paid. That's what I always thought was it's cold and it sucks, but like the first snow crash race I ever went to, or sorry, second one, was in Thompson, Manitoba. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it was minus fifty three Celsius with windshield. It was the coldest like it was stupid. Mm-hmm. It was it was unreal. Your shocks like the oil in the shocks weren't like uh, they were too stiff mm-hmm. i remember jesse stragg was there it's the first time i ever seen him race i was like oh my god this guy's amazing he's so fast <laughs> <laughs> he's like hey, this guy's great and then he rode kind of like a jerk yeah you know he jesse definitely was a dick out there and then he uh i was like he's just what the heck is this so yeah it was pretty funny <laughs> So that first time when you guys kind of
0: decide as a family let's let's make a trek down and and try and race in the states at least that first time was that completely on your own program or was Cat kind of like pulling you down or what was the story behind it? Yeah,
1: no, all on our own. Um, so my my mechanic or the guy that really got me into it was his name was Chris Dugray, and he uh, he was Blair Morgan's brother in law, mm-hmm. and he's the one that was like he was smoking cigarettes and wasn't the most healthiest guy, but he thought he was still racing, and then he like. He struggled. He was starting to get to the ender. It wasn't fun for him because of the physical side of it. And you got to remember, that was like right in the middle of the transition of guys starting to stand up and ride and Blair Mm -hmm. and like that whole thing. So there were still guys that were really fast that just would sit down the whole time. But, yeah, it was a weird transitional time. And then, yeah, it was um, me and and we called it. His nickname was Pluggy. So we go, me and Pluggy would go to Winnipeg. We grabbed one of Blair's practice sleds because my sled was broken in half at that time it was at the end of the year and we we're gonna to go to race a national in Fargo in mm-hmm. 2001 and uh yeah first day was good was leading or not leading but was like in a podium position and blew up the motor second day we rebuilt the uh, thing the whole night it was super late night you know and I'm just like I don't know what to think and I, actually Scott Jennik said this to me he's like I walked into his trailer that weekend and I was just like checking it out and he had that big orange trailer and i told him that one day i'm gonna be in one of those i don't recall saying that but he (laughs) says that i said that so i'm not gonna say i didn't but yeah i was like uh all right i'm gonna i guess i said that and then yeah second day sunday in in fargo um we got the sled rebuilt and i got a podium kind of out of nowhere like everyone's like well who the hell is this guy so it was fun it was good
0: yeah Mm mm-hmm so, I mean, after that success, was was everybody knocking at your door? Or what was kind of the the result of that? Is from the industry, at least? No,
1: not really. Um, yeah, there wasn't a ton. I got a little bit of help, like, or not help, but I had Brian Sturgeon, you know, kind of give me the, hey, I'll take care of you, this, that, whatever. And, of course, you know, you don't know what that means. Like, mm-hmm. I'll take care of you. Yeah, I'll give you half off a sled or, uh, you know. Hey, I'll give you a pat on the back. I, yeah. don't, I didn't know what that all meant. <laughs> yeah. So, all summer, never heard nothing, never heard nothing. I honestly thought that I was going to go race with Blair's team mm-hmm. at Articat in Winnipeg with Jamie Ansu and those guys. And that, you got to think that was the time that they were switching to ski do. Mm-hmm. So, they kind of dragged their feet, and Jamie was like, Yeah, I'm going to have something for you. Just wait, just wait. And then it kind of just kept taking like this. It was longer and longer and longer. And then finally, we get into the fall and we kind of hear rumblings that Blair's going to ski do. And that whole program is different. And I'm like, okay, I could get used to a ski do. I can do that. Mm-hmm. Well, so this is where my career kind of went. Like I was feeling bummed out for myself and pissed because they kept taking, so they went with Steve Taylor oh yeah than me and i was like i took that personal i was like mm-hmm. what the hell i thought i should have had that spot i but steve was really good and mm-hmm. super talented and he had like a lot of speed he was super sendy. like he would crash a lot and get hurt a lot but you couldn't deny his speed mm-hmm. but i was like the steady old horse like oh, <laughs> not yeah. real slow but not real fast <laughs> but just steady and always there and i don't know it was like uh it was a bummer though i remember and then surgeon called me last second and was like hey come down to the thief river falls and my dad and I drove down there and went and had lunch with uh, Roger Skyme and Kirk Hibbert and Sturgeon. And went back to the office, put together a – went to Dee's Kitchen. I remember uh, it. it. <laughs> it's so funny because if you've been a Thief Forever, you know where D's Kitchen is. It's like this place that is uh, – like stories and I bet you more snowmobiles have been drawn on napkins in that little place. Oh, yeah. For sure. So, uh, yeah, I went there got a deal with sturgeon. And it was like a couple sleds. They gave me a, a sled to give Chris my mechanic. And, uh, and I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. This is gonna be great. And he's like, I got a trailer. All you got to do is get a pickup truck to pull the trailer. And I'm like, Oh, that's easy enough. So my dad got me a truck, like went through his shop. And so it was still invested for my dad, but it was like a lot less, like mm-hmm. just a pickup truck. So wasn't too bad. And then yeah, went down that year and started racing it was teamed up with earl reimer lived with earl out of a house uh, uh like a we called them compton courts or something like that <laughs> <laughs> up there in the river it was like the college area it was pretty hilarious it was funny but yeah it was and then like living with earl you want to talk about like an eye opener you're going from like you think you're really, you know, stepping up and making it and you're getting somewhere and getting traction with what you're doing. And then you meet Earl and Earl's like the tightest, like does not spend an extra dime. (laughs) Just, just grumpy old man, like (laughs) pissed off at the world. Always never smiling, always working his, his ass off. And then, but what was cool about that was you learned, I learned a lot of like hard work through Mm -hmm. Earl. That was the best part. Mm -hmm. And Doug Dijsvik, his, like his nickname was, uh, Pig pen his mechanic because he was so messy. Like his hands were black all the time. <laughs> he had like belt dust on his hands all the time. Yeah, it was it was pretty uh pretty wild. I feel like if I wouldn't have had that year, and it was a struggle. So O2 Artie was the worst sled ever built. Oh yeah, the, the first the first gen was, of
0: yeah oh yeah, 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 yeah. That
1: one and the 08 XP, those are the two worst sleds in that I rode. Mm-hmm. Like they got really good in years it was crazy how bad they went to how good they went mm-hmm. to like the switch the transition but the o2 articat was garbage and the 08 SkiDoo was garbage
0: yeah cat mm-hmm. got a lot of flack for that at the time and mm-hmm. it, like the argument was always like well do you spend like three or four years fine-tuning it in the background or do
1: you just throw it out in the field and they, let it which is what they did 100 and just let it figure itself out you know it was it was a mess like uh, they had a, a bunch of plastic pieces in the skid. And I remember everybody got these new sleds and they took them out. And you, that was like back in the day when you'd run in the in the ditch to break it in to take it to Duluth. Well, you couldn't even run in the ditch because all these plastic pieces in the skid would break and all your track tension would go away. So then imagine going to Duluth, all these sleds never hitting snow really. They are dragging them off constantly. Mm-hmm. Like it was... It was a mess. It was, it was. <laughs> I felt so bad for like Kirk and I felt bad for Russ Ebert and all the guys at Cat. Like they were, like you could just see that. And Roger Skyme. Like one thing that Roger would never do is tell you it's good when it wasn't. Like he was so straight shooter with any of it. And when it was more on the rider, he was telling you was the rider and vice versa.
0: It's, it's cool to kind of hear that side of, you know, talk about the glory years of Articap, cat but like late 90s early 2000s where getting factory support it was less like we'll bring you into a trailer it's very like 90s moto where it's like all right i'll give you like a box van and you're yeah. still gonna do it on your own yeah but we're gonna supply it financially a little bit but, but you still got to figure out how to run your own program oh yeah you know it's, it's yeah crazy. no it
1: was it was a lot like you know you always think you know something and then you go and start doing it and wow, if I have only known now, you know, that old saying, but yeah, it was, it was what it was, (laughs) you know? And then like the sled sucked. I was like, so off, just not confident at all. I think I had like a couple podiums that year or something. I was kind of just lost it. It sucked. I was so bummed out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: So that was the, the, what did you do one full year in, in semi-pro like as a full program like that or did you do yeah it? yeah
1: yeah that was a one year by myself and then the next year came um Ola okay yeah okay mm-hmm. so yeah that next year then
0: turning pro with Ola or we you still did you did one nope. year semi-pro with I did them two too? years pro light or okay. semi-pro there yeah okay okay mm-hmm. were you we're gonna get into some I'm sure there's some great Ola stories we're gonna get into a lot of Ola <laughs> stuff but uh like were you approached was that driven by like Ola approaching you or is that cat saying we have a spot for you it's going to be Ola if you remember
1: Um uh, no yeah it was more cat like they mm-hmm. kind of kept the whole Ola thing really quiet mm-hmm. nobody really knew what was going on everybody just knew that there was big changes coming to Artie Cat mm-hmm. or something coming um but I was still in the conversations like I was I did the whole summer of Moto doing the Nationals and stuff that was the year that Blair I think got hurt in Nanaimo on an, okay. and he broke his leg really bad. Maybe it was a year after. I'm not whatever. Um, but yeah, I I was still in conversations with like Jamie Antu because I didn't think I was coming back to Cat. I didn't mm-hmm. think they wanted me. I was like, yeah, that was a tough year. I didn't get any results. Yeah, like shit. Like it was just. But I would. You know what? I wasn't looking at was everybody on Articat Cat sucked. Yeah, it wasn't me. It was definitely a lot of the machine too, and it was some me because I was probably just not you know mature enough to handle it. But yeah, that sucks. So I was talking to Jamie Antu still, and I was like, still feeling like they were kind of, I can do this. I can get a ride there and do that. But, but they, they wanted me to pay for the ride. Yeah. And I was just like, really? I think I can, <laughs> you know, and then that, that was always the, uh, the, the hard one. I, I left that just being like, you know what? I'll never ride those sleds. Those guys will never hire me. And it pissed me off to a point where I was like, I was going to do whatever I could, uh, Work wise, and to just beat whoever yep. was in the way. It was Steve. It was whoever they hired, mm-hmm. and uh, I just wasn't. Uh, yeah, I just felt like they were never giving me a fair shake, and it was a good motivation. Mm,
0: okay, okay, yeah. So then you ended up basically full time those you know, at least that first couple of years with Ola, and was this a time when you got there? Were they still doing two trailers, where it was like Ibsen in this trailer and you guys in this, or was it still was it combined at that point?
1: Yeah, no, that was the original yeah. beginning, and they went, I guess he bought two Elite uh, transporter trailers, mm-hmm. and the first one was going to the pro team, and that was with Ibsen and Gula, mm-hmm. and that one, that trailer didn't get done till like, a week before Duluth, and it was literally, like, it came to, it, we had it there at Duluth, but it was, it wasn't even ready, like, it, it had to go right back, you yep. know, um, and then the other trailer wasn't ready until after Christmas, so... Mm-hmm. My teammate was Simons, Ryan Simons and me, mm-hmm. who was like lifelong friend, super guy. Me and him have more stories about shit that we did back in the day. But uh, anyway, me and him were, you know, and he's another Canadian from Alberta. We kind of started, well, he started way before me, but like we kind of met up as we went down to the States. And then, um, yeah, we we had a race out of a trailer, a big fifth wheel trailer that actually fell through the ice. Uh, remember in... in uh, Um, Detroit lakes had an oval race on the ice and all those trailers fell through. That was the one tray that we got to pit (laughs) out of and nothing worked. Like it was just the biggest piece of shit trailer ever. And, uh, that's all they had. It was, uh, but you know what? We didn't even care. And like, we lived out of a hotel that year. Really? We stayed in a hotel. Yeah. It was like Garth Gordon, Wayne Hoffman, all those guys from Canada. That was the first time I met them. And, uh, yeah, it was a mess. And those guys had no clue about snowcross. They were jumping in. Mm-hmm. They're smart guys, but they just had an oval background. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was a struggle. That was a struggle that year. Like you went from, you thought 02 was bad. And then it was like, hold my beer. 03 was horrible, <laughs> but still showed enough speed every now and then. Like mm-hmm. won a couple races and and was on the podium a little bit here and there. You could see there, was, it was starting to come alive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and you got to think too. That was all during the time that the Rev came out. Mm-hmm. And the Rev was making people that weren't as good look real yeah, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were kind of yeah, like timing is everything and if you were on a Rev in 02, 03, 04, you were sitting with them because yeah, I think of, uh, Polaris was also on that old IQ chart. or no, the
0: those last the the edge, the last the couple edge. years of the Pro X. And that was
1: yeah, a yeah. pile of junk. <laughs> The edge was so bad. Like they I'll tell you what, one thing about Polaris is they'll work hard because they haven't been hit with the best stuff to start with. Mm-hmm. Like you think the edge in comparison, like the Articat was so dumb. And I'm not saying the edge was bad, just bad. Like it was just timing wise, mm-hmm. the Articat was so much better. Yep. Right. And the Skeety was okay, but it was what it was. Mm-hmm. And then the, the rev came out and they're mm-hmm. still on the edge. Yep. You know, and then Articat had their F chassis, and that thing was a pile of shit. So you just you know that
0: they're always catching up, right? But to, it, it
1: almost made the rev look so much better because of the competition. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, if in 2 if they would have kept the same Articat, it wouldn't have been such a dominant, mm-hmm. you know, rev yeah. deal. Mm-hmm. So again, you got to be, you know, right place, right time, and have a little luck on your side. So.
0: Uh, okay, so what I'm I'm, I'm jumping around Yeah, here. yeah, no, oh, sorry, man. <laughs> no, it's okay, it's okay. We're the Ola stories. You know it's all about the Ola oh, stories. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, okay, so turn pro second mm-hmm. second what, second or third well, year no, with so, Ola.
1: Yeah, first year with Ola was semi pro stock and open. Mm-hmm. And we had these TNS chassis with the big tunnels, the deep tunnels. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Mm. Oh yeah. And yeah, the like yeah, yeah. the horrible uh, sticker job on those sleds were like famous Dave's and it was just like puke all over the <laughs> sleds. Because Brad Ola was like this supposedly big, you know, business guy and had all this money. And yeah, he was the shit show. He was like he was crazy. He and he hated Blair. Like he loved Blair. He would have hired Blair to, in a heartbeat, but he like hated Blair, he would just wanted just wanted to beat him. Mm -hmm. So everything that he did was directed at Blair. He had like, uh, you know, the video game like three hundred and sixty Sony or not Sony, like the PlayStation three hundred and sixty. He got a sticker made and put on the trailers, the big trailers that year, because he knew Blair liked video games and he wanted to mess with his head and like how he would say it is like i'm gonna fuck with blair real good here this is how we're gonna do it and that's what his attitude was like he was crazy <laughs> he was nuts and that's that was brad ola that's who we had to work for so it was yeah his <laughs> character man like no other uh team owner was like that like the program was nuts mm-hmm. it was it was insane
0: there's uh we did one of these episodes a month or so ago with trevor john oh yeah yeah and he's uh he's like dude you know like that dude was spared no expense. He was throwing money around like it was going out of style, mm-hmm. like pulling up in, like, escalades and crap. Like, it was – it yeah. he's like, you know, wasn't the most professional thing in the world, but it was fun. It was a good time. Oh, that's yeah. What, that's what Trevor said, basically.
1: Well, yeah, and – yeah, it was. It was – we were – it was super fun. It was a challenge, though, because I was still, like – I wanted to rip faces off. Like, that's where I was mm-hmm. at my racing career. And when I was teammates with Trevor that year, that was uh, – he was kind of settling in, he was working, and he he wasn't all into racing yeah. anymore, but he was still really good. Trevor was pretty talented mm-hmm. but yeah he uh I was on the side of just grind and do whatever it took and clatch or scratch and claw my way to the top if I could. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, you did have a lot. Of, as wonky as it was, and as what a shit show. you did have a lot of success at Ola, at least oh, on the hundred you know.
1: percent. Yeah, no. He one thing that he did really well was he got the best out of you because he was psycho. He would come into the trailer if it was a bad week or weekend or a bad night or whatever, and he would tear everyone apart up and down. Like not just like, hey, you guys should try harder. Like yelling, screaming, swearing, spitting out of his mouth. Everyone's fired if you can't figure this out. Like and to the point where everyone was kind of worried about their job,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like pretty much every day. And, uh, you know, it was, I think if I wouldn't have had all those shitty years before that, <laughs> I would have been like, I don't want this. But the fact that, <laughs> yep. like, if my biggest challenge right now is dealing with him yelling instead of like fixing a trailer tire on the side of the highway in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. in minus 40 weather, <laughs> I'll take the yelling. Like, I don't care. <laughs> One bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's some, I mean, like we said, the graphic schemes, the the riders, like it was, it was an interesting program. Oh, here's another story.
1: So we're in Shawano, Wisconsin, and he wanted us to load up a new stock 440 so that he could ride it around the pits. And his idea was he was going to ride it to the back door of uh, Morgan, Blair, Morgan Racing. And he would like give him the finger and (laughs) and then circle around and then leave. And he's like, he'd come back and be like, guys, go watch that. Did you see that? We're setting a precedence. This, we're going to take him down tonight. Like he, was, this, <laughs> he was crazy. Everybody on our team were like, you got to be kidding me. Like <laughs> Nobody does that. But he would do that. That was the kind of shit, man. And like the sticker on there, yeah, it was nuts.
0: This is just, this is the kind of stuff that only could truly exist in Snowcross. Like yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's small enough that like nobody really cares, but it's big enough that you have guys with money that are, have a factory program. you like, this yeah. stuff only happens in snowcross. Yeah. Like the
1: equipment <laughs> we had and what Dean and, and uh, Steve were able to build and like Hector and all the guys that were there, the program was amazing. We mm-hmm. had, and like the facility was amazing. Um, like if you were willing to work. You had everything you needed to win, and that's what I felt like I, I was able to do. Had the facility, had actual sleds that were pr- getting better and better. You got to think mm-hmm. like 04, um, Articat is pretty strong. Mm-hmm. It caught up to the rev relatively quick. It didn't look cool. Mm-hmm. It didn't look like the rev, but it was it was competitive, mm-hmm. really competitive.
0: Yeah, there were some really good years there for Cat that really – I mean, like, the years with, with you, obviously, and then with, with Crapo and Factory Cat and stuff like that. Like, there were some really good years. Those later years of the Snow Pro before it becomes – before, like, 08 oh, and they change it. Yeah. You got really competitive by the end of it, yeah. for sure.
1: Yeah. Like, 04, 05. 05 is still, like, my favorite Cat, I think. hmm Yeah. We're still on 800s, I believe, in 05. 800 mod sleds. Yep. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's a that's a whole discussion in itself. Just <laughs> Yeah. 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 Uh, let's see. Uh but yeah, I mean championships 06. Mm-hmm. That's
1: yeah, it was kind of turning though. So 04 was like really good. I had like a pro light open. You could write you could split it, right? And yep. then ride pro in the stock class. And so everything in Pro was a like a plus. If you made the final, awesome. If you didn't, oh well. And then I started making like every final and then I started making every front row and then I was like top qualifier. And then I got a couple podiums and it was like, this is pretty cool. You know, I was mm-hmm. going pretty good. And then in the pro light, I think I won every final of but two. Really? Yeah. I like crushed it pretty good. So definitely uh, felt good about that. And then, then moved to pro full time in 05 mm-hmm. and came into Duluth and We've got a second place start behind Blair. Blair was out front and then Blair fell over. And I was like, I remember it clear as day. And he fell over, went around him, ended up winning the stock class. So that was crazy. Didn't expect that. And then in the open class was running third. I can't remember who was in front of me. And uh, my belt broke on the way down the hill at Duluth. And then my sled rolled up the finish line. And hit the transponder, but Carl, uh, Carl Kuster yep. passed me like by, I mean, a hair. Yeah, and got third. So he got the podium. <laughs> I sat there with a broken sled. <laughs> so yeah, that's like 05 was was my was my best year for sure. I was fast that year. Had a lot of, a lot of wins. Just we kept breaking belts. Mm-hmm. Broke a lot of belts that year, which was tough.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're gaining most of that uh most of that rookie year at least for pro in, in 05 and then mm-hmm. 06. Yeah,
1: 06 know. wasn't as dominant but I was a lot more consistent and we didn't break. Yep. I was just able to like win a lot of heats, won I think only won like five finals that year. Mm-hmm. So it was a little off but on that end of it but then I just stayed a lot more consistent I realize that like i was probably breaking belts more than the belts breaking you know so if i could just cool it a little bit but yeah a little live and learn
0: you know this is one of the topics i had way later in there but these early years they maybe it's just the announcers that used to just drive it into the dirt but it was like robbie malinowski you see him just manhandling that (laughs) sled he's so aggressive and all this like (laughs) i grew up as a kid like just thinking that's what robbie malinowski is and then as I got older and like your shearing day, it's like, dude, he's super smooth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely worked on that. Um, I think back in the day, I, yeah, I, I wasn't that good. I was just strong and fit and I was able to hang on and ride it through anything. And that was what got me up the speed right away. But then, yeah, as you get older and you develop and, and evolve, you need to work on your weaknesses. And that was one of my biggest weaknesses was like, I could literally break the sled in half mm-hmm. and I did that a lot and it didn't help me. It was like, <laughs> Oh great. You were really fast, but you finished last because you broke. Yeah. So yeah, it, it took a while. There was a transitional period there for sure. And then that was right around the time sleds are getting slip gears and stuff like that where you're, mm-hmm. cause it wasn't just Articat. It was, it was all of them. Mm-hmm. They would, you would break a chain pretty easy if you weren't careful. Yeah. The sport around that
0: time was like, You know, we talk about this more rider forward, standing up stuff like the sport itself, at least tracks and riding style was evolving and you had had 40 years worth of sled engineering that was not geared that like towards that. Right. So everybody was slowly figuring out what actually works in this new world compared to what's worked the last 40 years. Yeah. So there was a lot of, a lot of growing pains, a lot of teething going on for everybody.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like you take, uh, you know, that sled of Tucker's his X Games, Mm -hmm. 15 year old, yeah, that sled was so light and so flimsy, and, like, you had to be perfect on that machine. And if you weren't, you would break. It would mm-hmm. just break. That's how flimsy it was. It, it was awesome, and it was cool, but it was a tin can. Yep. You know, very, <laughs> very, yeah, not built. <laughs> so moving past Ola,
0: so... This becomes, obviously, a massive part of your career this mm-hmm. this season with Yamaha, yeah. first win, all this kind of stuff. But leading into that, I'm sure you were, like, probably looking for opportunities outside of Ola or at least, like, at least in your head.
1: Oh, I been Yeah, so I'm getting told that the Ola program's going down. It's Brad's losing his marbles. He's mm-hmm. gone crazy. And, like, if you can get out, you better get out now, right? Mm-hmm. So start looking around, and I... Not knowing what I know now, I my best bet then was to just sit still. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I needed to lock something up right away. And then Yamaha came to the plate pretty hard and did a, a pretty big offer right away. And I just said, screw it. Because Brad was, you could see the writing on the wall at Ola. Mm-hmm. And it kind of scared you. Like, you wanted to get away from that. And I wanted to lock in and cash in a little bit. Like, that was definitely Articat's cheapest uh, championships for sure. And I was like, they, <laughs> they got a steal for those. Like, that was a good deal for them. But yeah, I wanted to cash in for sure. And that's when the whole Yamaha, Yamaha thing started. Okay.
0: Was that, uh, had Yamaha and boss already linked up or was it like Yamaha coming to the table first and then trying to find a team or was it? Yeah, boss? it was
1: kind of a mixture of everything. Boss pursued me with Yamaha in tow. And then Yeah, it was like kind of everybody had to kind of agree at once that this is the direction we go, and then we were good. Um, You know, unfortunately for Gary at Boss, that was probably too big of a deal for him at that moment. He wasn't ready and understood everything, Mm -hmm. but he adapted and he was able to come around. And I mean, you look at what Boss Racing's done in the you know in the future after that. Mm -hmm. We're able to really do well um, with Elias and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it was just a lot all at once and. Looking back, yeah, we should have had some more, some changes. But Yamaha was tough because they, like, think of your season. You don't know what you need. Like, after Christmas, you'd be like, ah, oh, we should have went this way. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's make parts and go that way. Well, with Yamaha, you have to go to back to Japan. Japan has to build the part. They have to test the part on their own. Then they have to give it the okay. Mm-hmm. And then they have to send it to you and say, yeah, you're good to go. You can build it this way or we'll build you this. Well, I'm just talking about three, four weeks yep. at the minimum. Mm-hmm. Well, your season's almost over. So you you have three, four hours to decide if you're going to go and make a part, not three, four weeks. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of challenges there. And then I'm coming off championship year, and, and then I ended up winning on it. And I was like, okay, the win was cool, but I want to win more. Let's mm-hmm. go. Let's go. You know, yeah. like I'm pushing. And the more I pushed, the slower the whole thing turned. Mm-hmm. And it was a struggle. It was tough for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah i would imagine too coming from you know even though we say what we say about the snow pro you guys basically you had been improving that sled for years and years and years you basically knew what you wanted and what your riding style was going to be able to and then basically going to yamaha you know they put a lot of effort behind it you had yeah. smart people but you're starting from ground zero yeah and you're like here's where i already know i have to be and we have to slowly inch our way yeah <laughs> all the well, way Well, like that
1: nitro was a stock sled Yeah. And we had a really good motor, but we didn't have the best motor until the end of the year. And, um, it was, it only got better from there, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it was, uh, it was a, that was a challenge for sure.
0: When they, uh, when Yamaha and boss came to you, like, were they pitching like, Hey, we're going to build a program around a nitro or were they like, we're no, what was the, what was the story behind it that they
1: pitched? I had no clue what they, what I was going to be riding. I seen all the pictures that they had and Trevor John did a little testing with them that the year before. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, they had all these, you know, weird, bizarre looking things going on. And so, but I didn't really know what I was going to be getting on. And then once I was in, then I got to see the first phase was the phaser that -hmm. we, and that was just a pure 100% custom set that we wrote at Duluth. And that thing was bad. It was horrible. (laughs) It was really bad. It was, it wasn't very good. And then the nitro was a lot better. Mm-hmm. but I didn't even know about the nitro until once we were all signed up. Okay. So okay. it was a lot of trust on my end.
0: Yeah. It sounds like mm-hmm. it. I mean, even most guys these days, they, they might at least like ride the sled the year before, yeah. you know, quietly and stuff yeah. like that to know, but yeah, you're yeah. basically
1: like putting, I was so over the Ola thing. Cause it was just a shit show. They, he started not paying people. Um, like he stole me money, <laughs> which i probably won't ever see, <laughs> but yeah, it would, they would, uh, he just bailed up and bailed, and then he came back and sued Artie Cat. Oh, really? It's the craziest thing. Yep. Yeah, he sued Artie Cat. So, yeah, that, that's a story in itself. It's crazy, <laughs> super crazy. Uh, Snow cross, just catch a fever. <laughs> yep. yep.
0: <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, you're kind of building throughout the year. Obviously, you get that that iconic win at Brainerd, and the sled's getting better. You're still, you know. Growing pains, like we said, yeah, you're you're good. You know,
1: it's I good. had a lot of good rides going. Like one time at Eagle River, we were sitting in third, and I actually felt pretty good mm-hmm. and was moving forward. And then the thing started on fire. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, like it was seemed like we were just haunted with lots of little bullshit things. Like
0: mm-hmm.
1: the overall results didn't show how well it was actually going. And then to get on like for the next year that like Taylor and and uh, um ha- uh, Ian Hayden, Hayden yep. had. Yeah, that sled was a lot better. That sled actually started with Aaron Scheel and I. We built that sled from the ground up. I had no desire to be like an engineer or like a mechanic type thing. Well, I like the mechanical side, but that that was kind of the start of it all, mm-hmm. for sure, for me. Just kind of tinkering and having Aaron help. and It was pretty cool. So yeah, you
0: guys are building on that sled for most of the year. And I'm yeah, like you said, I'm sure by the end it was pretty damn good, but... So I would imagine at this time, your contract is with Boss. Yep. And Boss probably has a one, I don't know, I don't know the the specifics behind them pulling out, but like, you're basically locked with Boss wherever they go, and Yamaha is going to go do something else on the factory yeah. side.
1: Yeah. like they, ultimately, it kind of came down, I think, like it was a, a community conversation, but it wasn't, like they wanted to know, oh, well, what do you want to do? And then Ski-Doo was pitching pretty hard. And that was leading right into that 908 oh, year. Mm-hmm. And it, we kind of knew what the XP was going to be like because Blair had wrote it the year before and crushed it and mm-hmm. did really well. <clears throat> so going into that year, I was like, I don't know. I want to stay with Yamaha. I feel like there's so much more on the table. We're so invested with all this work and everything. And they keep pushing this Ski-Doo deal and you got to do Ski-Doo. And then they up the pay to go to Ski-Doo. And then they're like we'll do a better contingency and think you're going to win so much on this skidoo, It's going to mm-hmm. be crazy. And then it was like the kind of, you know, like, I, okay, mm-hmm. I guess we'll go that way, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, you know, I don't know. It, it is what it is. You make those decisions. And it wasn't that, Oh, it was so bad. It just, that sled started in such a deficit mm-hmm. for sure. I've got a,
0: so the one I did with Blair a while back on yeah. this, he said the same thing. He's like that first or first couple years of the XP chassis. It was not good. No, it was a step back from the previous. Oh god, you know. yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was
1: same, ex- like, uh, exact same setup as Articat from 01 to 02. The Articat was so dominant to so bad in 02. and the player, or sorry, the the Skitty, the Rev was so good to so bad mm-hmm. in in a way. What specifically was it? Just
0: suspension geometry? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah,
1: and it, the whole like it was a lot lighter mm-hmm. than the Rev, and then it. The, the rear skid was a disaster. The whole back end of that sled was a mess. And the front end, too, it broke a lot on mm-hmm. the front and just the ergos was way off. It was more of a trail sled.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like the rev started out as, like, we're going to build a snow cross sled yeah. where the XP was like, okay, we got our snow cross base, but we're going to make it trail. Yeah. And that's when we started. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Okay. So, I mean, you don't sound like you were. I don't want to say disappointed to get on Skidoo, but I'm sure you were kind of like a little bit iffy I at I felt that like time. I had
1: unfinished uh, work with Yamaha. Yep. Yeah, I didn't feel like I was finished there. Yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, just a tough, and I don't know how Boss got out of that deal or, or however, and it wasn't really like, they had already made their decision. I come to find out later that they had made their decision with Skidoo, but they felt like it was like a courtesy call to see if I was in or not. oh really yeah they were going there no matter what it had nothing to do with me even though they made it want to think that i had a call in that but no i had no call Uh, that's a bummer that's a bummer i
0: mean again it's like it's a really brief stint in your career but it's just really cool like it's a cool time period and you know yeah they had all their success with with vincent and and nathan titus and all this stuff years and years ago but like this this 07 time period it's just really cool the four
1: stroke thing was what made it so different mm-hmm. like if we had a bit of just another two stroke out there it wouldn't have had the same impact but yeah the four stroke thing was cool and they sounded so different and fans loved them like it was it was good for the sport at the end and i guess that's what like kind of led me there or pushed me there was like i wanted to be a part of something that was pretty cool mm-hmm. and that was something that i felt like was so
0: yeah i like i told you earlier i Texted Greg Marrier, who was Yamaha's manager yep. at the time, and he's yeah, like, good "He's like, dude, if, if we could have had Robbie for a, <laughs> just a
1: couple more years, yeah. in, oh man." <laughs> yeah, he he saw the uh, potential there for sure. Yep. And then the, there was there was quite a bit. And Hayden and Taylor, oops, Hayden and Taylor were really good. Mm-hmm. They did really well in that thing.
0: Yeah, they had a couple couple more good years, and with OTSFF, and ultimately end up end up stepping away again, but. Just one of the cooler time periods in our sport, no doubt. One of the stories I had heard, too, was that uh, Blair had actually signed a deal with Boss yeah. before he got hurt. Yeah. So he was going to be your teammate at Boss.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's, his, the, so Skidoo kind of, you know, just like shut down Blair Morgan Racing They didn't want to get rid of Blair, but they wanted to get rid of, I think, Jamie and the whole team up there. Mm Because they kind of were on their own little island, and they were kind of bringing things in Mm -hmm. to, like, more everybody's under the same platform. Yep. Because that was one big thing 15, 20 years ago. Everybody had their own ideas, programs, tuners, suspension this, that. Now you go, everybody's under like one big umbrella. You yep. Use factory suspension, you use factory clutching, you use factory this, this, this. You know, like everybody's yep. under one. So, yeah, they were trying to push that and get it closed in and be more with the factory. So Morgan Racing was out. Blair signed a deal to ride. Me and him are going to be teammates. And then, yeah, I remember exactly where I was when I got the phone call that Blair broke his back and... That was a tough year. I remember just, I remember getting a neck brace right away, a mm-hmm. Liette, and they sponsored me, and they were nice and everything, but it was horrible to ride with. Like those old, yeah. And uh, rode with that forever, just struggled, was scared, riding scared. That whole year was just a mess. Mm-hmm. Didn't, you know, I don't know, just hit home way too much. and But slowly got through it. As the year went on, neck brace came off, started coming around, and then Mike Schultz got hurt that year too. Oh, yeah, Yeah, okay. right away. Mm-hmm. So that was a, that was tough. Right.
0: Yeah, I would imagine that's a tough year for, especially. I mean, you're really close to Blair. So you probably had all these ideas in your head of what this team's going to be, how much fun it's going to be, and then just kind of on an island by yourself. I mean, because what? You had, was Dave Villard on the team that year?
1: Or, yeah. or did you get Bowerly? Or nope. were, they, were they both? Bowerly the and Dave Lard? yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, and that was fun. Um, and Dave was a great guy. Mm-hmm. Dave Villard's super, super guy. It was tough uh, language barrier between mm-hmm. them, but. Man, he tried hard. He was he was a hard working dude. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: My my first couple years racing snowcross on the East Coast. Dave was still racing CSRA and SCM the Quebec series. Mm-hmm. So he'd come down it's like god, it's just like just this old guy just grinding yeah. it out, like still yeah. gritty and fast. Like yeah. it was just always funny.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was he was gnarly. He was super cool. He was a good like um good racer. Like he was Respectful and never was like out to, you know, take your friend's ski off. Mm-hmm. He was always really good, for sure, for sure. So where are we at here on this?
0: So what was kind of the reasoning then? Because you end up moving to there to to shearing for at least one year on a Polaris before you get yeah, back so on Skidoo. But we
1: did two years on Skidoo with Boss Racing. That first year was a disaster, like with Blair and everything, and then that was the XP, and then the O nine XP was better the program boss racing program was starting to dwindle mm. away okay there wasn't much there and by the end Gary was pretty much cashed out and mm-hmm. checked out and he didn't really want to be there and then it yeah it was just kind of a whole mess O nine was a tougher I had a couple wins and rode well but like Brett Bender I think was he won the open championship or was I right up there yeah that yeah. was
0: that was probably those years where Henches was just unstoppable. yeah they're such really good, <laughs> yeah really good,
1: so yeah it was uh we were taking a little bit of a knife to a gunfight with them, but yeah it was it was an okay year and then yeah so i I, the, I remember the three year deal with boss racing was over. Gary really didn't have anything. I remember talking leaving Geneva. I'm sitting in the parking lot and I see Steve shearing and I'm like, I've never really talked to that guy. I mean, a little bit here and there. I always thought he's so weird. Such a goofball. And he is. I'm not even going to pull back. He's the weirdest (laughs) dude I know, but he's funny and he's passionate and he wants to win and he'll do whatever it takes to win. Mm -hmm. And I just walked up to him like, hey, I don't know what your schedule is or what you have going for riders next year, but whoever you, if you keep those same two riders, and I said it somewhat like this like, if you're going to keep those two, then that's on you. But if you want somebody that will work their ass off for you, I will do that. And then I just walked away. Two days later, he called me. He's like, come up and ride the sled, went and rode the sled, ended up doing a ton of spring testing. Didn't even have a contract with him. I was just having fun mm-hmm. riding his sleds. And we were just like, yeah, this is cool. Let's do this. And then that was right when Ben Hayes switched over and was the shock guy from Fox over to Walker Evans. Mm-hmm. So then me and Ben started working together and that was like, me and him are great friends, and and yeah, that's when we started really hanging out.
0: Because at this time, the IQR, you know, I gone or all the, the sp- they still had a bunch of spindle issues, but you know, mm-hmm. they got better. Two thousand ten IQR was
1: pretty good; it was pretty rock solid. It was it was know? really good. I and honestly, I feel like I would have won a lot of races that year. Um, first race of the year, Duluth stock sled tipped over, fell, started on fire. Mod sled, pulled the whole shot was out front and I just rode really like tight and scared Mm -hmm. and started like holding my breath and fell back to fourth. And Mm -hmm. I was like, that was a bummer. But that was, I knew that if I could just calm down, I was going to crush it. And then two weeks after that, we're up testing and riding, practicing up at the track at Shearings and they landed into a space where we're like slamming into a face and then tripling and when I landed on that face, the chain broke, and mm. I ate shit so hard, broke my, sh- hurt my shoulder really good, um, knocked myself out, was just a mess. And then ended up like being okay. Had to like tape up my shoulder, just tore it a little bit, and kind of muscled through that year. But I was maybe sixty percent, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a struggle. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a tough year. But Steve was like. He was good with it. He liked the effort. Obviously, injuries are what they are. Mm-hmm. So, so for the second
0: time in your career, you end up getting caught on a team contract versus an OEM contract. Yeah, <laughs> I went in going thinking
1: I'm never. I'm riding a Players till I'm done. Yep. that's what I went in. And then, yeah, we get through the year and Steve calls me, or I'm up at the shop, and he's like, "Hey, what do you think of Do? And I'm like, "What? No, I just came from them. I'm, like, I'm good. I love this Players. I want to like a crack at this, a solid year yep. on a Players, and we'll win. I know we can win." And, uh, he's like, yeah, the, the program with players is kind of going south. Ski kind of looking to do something. And it took me like a week to kind of get my head wrapped around it. And Steve was cool. He was really like, I really want you to be good with this decision. And I'm like, you know what? Whatever. I, at that, I was pretty mature at that time. And near the end or as like, I didn't give a shit. Just put me on. I know what I got to do. All the sleds are pretty good. Give me a good sled and we can win.
0: I mean, he's always in a in a unique position where he's not true factory. He gets factory support, but he's not factory factory so that, I mean, he can kind of do what he wants in a way. He has a little bit of freedom there. And it's not like if he would have turned down Skidoo and said, no, we're going to stay. It's not like anybody else wouldn't have called him. You know, anybody yeah. would want to be associated with Steve Shearing. So, yeah. sure, he kind of got to pick and choose over the years what he really wants to do in the end.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was his deal doesn't come with all the extra. He's just looking for factory support and factory equipment mm-hmm. and uh at that time, you know, now it's a little different. It's you know, just yeah. stock stuff, but yeah. So, we got stuff from from Ski Doo that year, the next year, and that was kind of a that was a big change. I was a, it was fun. I mm-hmm. I'm glad we actually at the end of it all. I'm glad we finished where we did mm-hmm. cuz players was good. They had Ross. They had their you know, their guy, Articad, had Tucker. Mm-hmm. And then ski was kind of in this limbo with Trombley, myself, you mm-hmm. know. And, uh, yeah, it was good. So that
0: first year then, getting back on, on an updated XP chassis, like, were you still super scared?
1: Or was it like, no, this is actually a pretty solid program now? Because you yeah. only had one year off of it. Yeah, the 09, I felt pretty good about that set. So I thought it was coming around pretty good. Mm-hmm. So then in 10, yeah, I never rode that. The ski do but i it was it was solid you could see it like building yeah and then the other thing too the caveat between ola racing and good results and then shearings and good results was steve thorson i got to get back with him mm-hmm. and like when i was younger at ola's i couldn't stand steve i thought he was such a jerk and no he's just he's a grumpy old dude and just div- he didn't get it you know and then yeah i i probably was a jerk back. And I probably was hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. But then when we went to, um, Shearings and we reconnected there, I was like, he's, he's the best. He's so smart. He's hardest working dude ever. And I just didn't know what I had back in the day. I was Mm -hmm. young, stupid kid. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, seeing what the dedication and it, it, it correlated perfectly. Like Steve's stuff, I did really well on it. He knew how to, and all Steve, the crazy thing with Steve is all he wanted to do was just never quit. Yeah. Just try your hardest. As long as you were doing that, Thorson would do anything for you. So yeah, and it was good. It was a good program. I mean, what that first year was was it you and, and the Mies brothers? Or was yeah. it uh, yeah. Andrew Johnstead started that season and he was horrible on that ski. He could not ride it. He was he was he was going through a lot, I think, back home too. He's got mm-hmm. pressure from his girlfriend and taking over the farm and then they he was like Polaris Die hard and yep. then they made the switch, and he had to ride a ski doo, and he just couldn't get comfortable, mm-hmm. and he ended up getting fired right mm-hmm. after Duluth. Really? Yeah. Steve's like, "Are you? Do you even want to ride this sled?" And he's like, "No." He's like, "Okay, see you. <laughs> Take a hike." Brutal. Yeah. They brought him Willie Elam.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I there's I've
1: seen some pictures over the like years of of Willie Elam on cheering, but I never knew the story behind yep. it. And that's how Willie got in. Okay. Yeah, because everybody was kind of set up with a deal and everything, and Willie was kind of out in the West Coast just doing his own thing and not really didn't have anything and yeah he came across and and he had some good rides will he did some well or like something good he just lacked like the killer instinct he couldn't find uh another gear when he needed to he was yeah. just really smooth really good really talented technical guy but yeah
0: he's he's really good on a Snowville. super talented guy yeah. but uh yeah, yeah i never heard a ton from him on the national scene racing wise but yeah um Obviously, all his his freestyle and freeride stuff he does now is super crazy. Yeah, super talented. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and then the the next year, what 20, 2012 would have been? Yep, the Mies brothers then Darren and Garrett. Well, they that... were there that because year too. They were in
1: they were in pro light or semi pro pro light. Yeah, yep. And okay. Garrett Garrett was really good too. Garrett was was doing really well, and then Darren was really good in pro light, but he had like some mishaps here and there you know just some inconsistencies so then the following year then they moved darren up to pro so me and darren and then garrett was the pro light rider gotcha okay and garrett was crushing it that year he was doing super good and then he blew in the out at ewa river mm. and then that was the end of it for him
0: he's another one of those guys that you know darren was incredibly successful but his brother gets lost in the weeds of how talented he really was yeah yeah for sure yeah
1: he had uh right before the weekend before he blew his knee out he was he was leading this final all the way to like the last lap and then he cased this jump and got past he got second so he was on the like he was a top pro light rider and he was starting to really come alive mm-hmm. and then yeah he got hurt and that was the end of it yeah it's a tough break it's mm-hmm. a tough break so that next year you guys end up putting together
0: more or less for for 2013 more or less a pro open super team In a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, the following year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was weird. That was weird timing because (laughs) I was like, I thought I was your top guy. (laughs) Now you're hiring the other top guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, you know, um, Tim's tough too. Like he's tough personality. We're Mm -hmm. both alphas that way. Like, Mm -hmm. but I was at the side of like, I'll I'll beat you with my equipment Mm -hmm. because I felt like we had really good stuff. And it's not just because of one person. It's because of the program, the team, and everything. <clears throat> and, yeah, I felt like if you come over here, that's fine. I'll still beat you, you know? hmm And that's uh, – yeah, that was quite the year. Yeah, it was weird timing.
0: Uh, I never – Heard the details. I, I'm sure people will know. Maybe I'll get on as a story here someday. But, yeah, I mean, he's coming off of a, a pro open championship with Warner in 2012 mm-hmm. and then ends up on shearing in 2013. And it's not like the typical skidoo just putting guys like they do now, just putting guys where they yeah. need them. It was a little bit different at that
1: time. Yeah, and Tim, I think being, like, French-Canadian and being their number one, he could kind of do whatever he wanted, and mm-hmm. that showed it. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, it was it was gnarly. It was it was too much. It was a lot for the team. It's a lot of equipment. It, things got missed because when you have that many top dogs in there, mm-hmm. all going, and I think Tim was a little like arrogant in the side of he didn't think that I was good enough to race with him, and it was the equipment was that was allowing him to be for me to yeah. be close to him, mm-hmm. and I felt like. I, that's how he treated it and he's like mm-hmm. oh i'm gonna come to your program because then if i get your stuff then i'll be will be here. that much faster than mm-hmm. you guys and i'm like okay i guess but <laughs> he soon found out that it wasn't like that like mm-hmm. he had okay year but he wasn't it wasn't a better year mm-hmm. by no means he definitely had his moments his, his ups his downs but it was uh the sled didn't make the difference for what he I think he was looking for
0: yeah, I remember Duluth that year, you guys came out, and you had one, two, three on the on the podium, which was yeah. still super cool to this
1: day. Yeah, yeah, like that was uh, fun. That was really good. Yeah, good times.
0: Yeah, so the the last year that you end up racing is the 2014 season. You get hurt at uh, at Canterbury, mm-hmm. and then, I mean, I, I put it here, that was a tough year for Steve in general, because Tim got hurt as well at yep. one point in time. So he, he basically had, he brought in, uh, Paul Bowerly raced at one point in time. Yep. Got hurt, yeah, (laughs) yep. And then yeah, he pulls up Lincoln at Salamanca, and then Lincoln ends up finishing off the season. But yeah, um, I mean, after you were getting hurt, I know you had some surgeries and stuff like that. Like, were you mentally ready to come back, or was it? Yeah, was the story. So
1: yeah, when I got hurt, obviously I knew it was probably unlikely that I would come back. But then about halfway through rehab and everything, I started feeling pretty good, and then started. I almost went back to Artie Cat. Really, believe it or not, and uh, that was Danny Ebert was running the program at that point. Mm-hmm. They had Cody Thompson, yep, racing for him, and I, I was like, "Here, Dan, Danny, you got to get Cody out of there. I will, I will, like, I will win you races. I know I can, and then I can finish at Articat." Mm-hmm. That was kind of the thing. As I, like, I kind of wanted to end it there, so went and did that conversation with him, just could never get any traction. They stayed true with have, keeping Cody. Um, that uh, He flopped. He really didn't have much after that. Mm-hmm. And then Danny Ebert's sitting up at the, the next year. I'm working for Leighton's, and he's sitting there, and he watched Cody go by, and he looks at me. And he's like, we should have signed you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, don't say that, because you just never know what would have happened. But, yeah, it was funny. It was a crazy time. But, yeah, I, I felt like I kind of had one more good year, but maybe two, but yeah, it was, uh, it was time to move on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did, uh, was your deal up at shearing anyway, or were you doing like year to year? What was the, no, I think, I can't remember if it was up or if I was, I know Steve was like making moves at that point. Mm -hmm. So I got him, I caught him lying about some stuff and it pissed me off. And there probably went a year there where I was like, I didn't, I wanted to burn Steve alive. And then I kind of like, Woke up and was like, ah, I'm over it. I don't care anymore. Like, it was, it, I took it personal, but then at the same time, once I got over it, it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think, like, now me and Steve are, are great friends. Mm-hmm. And I love hanging out, working with him with anything and, and, you know, try to help whenever I can.
0: I was just curious because you see, anytime guys can go out on their own terms, it's always good. Yeah. But anytime a guy gets hurt and there's potential that he could come back, it's, you know, always a great what if for, for anybody. Yeah.
1: yeah, I feel like I could have had a little bit more um, out there. But, you know, I don't always get to make all those decisions or, or those choices. So so past the
0: riding career, you end up coming back with with Leighton's as a team manager. But there was what? There was a year or two off? Two or three years in between?
1: No. Or were you I went right straight away? straight in. Okay. Oh, yeah, because yeah.
0: it was the, the pro light uh, super team. That they had yeah
1: they had uh yeah all th- well no so corin was going pro oh you're going pro and then yep. mason
0: and trevor were still pro light the- Yeah.
1: yep gotcha okay
0: okay so yeah 20 2015 year then yep yep okay gotcha did they approach you or were you kind of looking for something in the sport to, to hang yeah
1: to? uh trace approached me and i was like i like trace and like the family and everything and it was everyone was super cool and it, the whole program was good but I could never get a good read on, like, what he wanted to do. Like, did he just want me to help teach the guys how to ride or or coach? Or did he want, like, someone involved in the race program? or yep. You know, and then the more we kind of talked, it was more on the race program. And then me being kind of like anything I do, I feel like I need to just jump in headfirst and try to do everything at the yep. 100th mile an hour. So I yeah moved in, started working with the whole program. We did we had a loose program at first as far as like our shop, but we made the best with it and then our trailer and like the mechanics somewhere out east and like it was kind of a it wasn't a full program yet yep. so we kind of slowly got ourselves together that year and I think we we had a lot of good happening. We almost uh, like I think in the pro light class, Zach and Trevor were like leading the points or right up there. Mm-hmm. And that was when like Carlson and Springer yep. were super good. Mm-hmm. And those guys were super fast and dominant and they had their sleds really, really well, like working well. They would just whole shot everything. Well, before they got to that like dominant side, we were actually beating them yep. and we were competitive and both of those guys were out front. It went from, we're looking really good. Our guys are out front. <laughs> one crashes, the other one crashes and the other one. They both get hurt. And the whole year was just flip flopped like yep. that in one corner. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was a tough year.
0: Yeah, those were, I mean, Zach Mason to me is still one of the, at least from the pro life class, one of the greatest what ifs, like a guy that if he could have stayed healthy. Yeah. Super, super talented guy. And Trevor was too. I think he, I don't think he ever fully, he never really peaked in Snowcross. He never really hit like his peak riding, his peak maturity. He never really yeah. hit it. At yeah right time. yeah trevor but.
1: we got him in some crazy shape one year the next year when he turned pro mm-hmm. and uh yeah he worked his ass off he got himself and like he dropped probably 40 pounds and he looked great and was all in and doing really well but then at christmas went snowmobiling in the mountains and crashed and hurt his shoulder tore, mm-hmm. tore his shoulder out and then kind of kept it quiet and tried to like keep racing and it was like the whole year just was a struggle yep and the kid was hurting like his shoulder was killing him Mm -hmm. and he's like that was a that was a tough one because i felt like he we could have done something really special with that but with him and how he was committed but then once that shoulder injury i think it was just like it was over at that point
0: attention snowmobile racers when it comes to dominating the track trust the experts at woody's traction and control Their cutting-edge products are engineered for peak performance, providing unmatched grip and control in every turn. Don't let the competition catch up. Upgrade your sled with Woody's Traction and Control products today. Visit www.woodystraction.com and experience the winning difference. Woody's Traction and Control, where precision meets victory on the snow. One thing I've always been curious about and... I'm not getting you in trouble, I promise. Oh, I I'm just sure. always curious about this kind of stuff because yeah. there's some of these these teams in Snowcross where you know straight up that it's it's family money. They're racing because their kids race. Yeah. If you enter a role like team manager for yeah. a team like that, are you thinking like, I might get like two or three years out of this before this family just decides to do something if else? If or... you
1: think that the program is going to stick around because they love the racing, mm-hmm. even though their kid's not racing you're crazy. Now, as I say that, there's one team right now currently doing that. Mm-hmm. And another team that I worked for with Katoos. Yeah. That is the first time that has ever happened. So if you think you're going to go in and you're not going to be beholden to the family and their little Johnny racing, and they're going to keep it, keep it going, then you're nuts. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're crazy. It is a hundred percent built for the kid. And why wouldn't it be, mm-hmm. you know, it's their money. They can do whatever they want. And they want to surround it with successful, you know, mechanics, engineers, whoever, trainers. Then, yeah, have at it.
0: Yeah, it was. I always enjoyed watching just how it was gonna work out when you have a family team that becomes like a multi-rider team. They want to bring in more talent, and they bring in a guy that's either on the level or more talented, mm-hmm. like a Corin or like a Dave Jonas with Christian Brothers. <clears throat> like years where they bring in a guy that's a top talent, and you're like. What do you do with that? You know, it's yeah. it's tough. You know, they're gonna get the support; they're not gonna like pull the rug out from under this guy. But you just well, wonder, like
1: manufacturers love it, yeah, because they get to put a play or place a rider in a program. Yep. Um team owners hate it when that person beats their kid. Mm-hmm. So he's like, "What the hell? I'm propping this kid up, and I'm not even helping myself. You know, or the main own kid." Mm-hmm. If I tell everyone, if you have a program and it's your program with your kid and you're starting to get to that point, I would go racing with just your kid Mm -hmm. and don't worry about bringing anyone else along Mm because typically if you could put more resources into one rider, the better it'll be. Mm -hmm. Anytime you got to split it, going to be tough. And I mean, there's a reason why they do it. If one gets hurt or it's just makes sense on a dollar and cents, but if you're paying to go race and you've got a program that you're spending a lot of money on, you do your own program the way you want. And the best way to do it is with one rider. For sure. sure. There's a reason why Tucker never had a teammate. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. It hurt his program to have somebody around. Mm -hmm. Simple.
0: Yeah. I mean, talking to to his wife a little bit before I did the podcast with Tucker and she's like, in a lot of ways, he just wanted to be, he wanted to show up and ride. He wanted nothing else to even be there. He wanted to walk in the trailer. There's one
1: sled or two, if he's got backups, whatever, there's one sled. It's his program. It's his team. Yeah. And you see it. Well, and then it keeps everything nice and and tight. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, uh, the old saying of loose lips sink ships or whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's hard to keep and it's not like you're doing anything wrong, but if you have a little success, it's crazy how people will look and try to min, you know, um, mimic, mimic that or <clears throat> find themselves chasing or looking and, and testing the same stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, one program, one rider, less moles. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I always enjoyed the the Layton program. I mean, I'm an East Coast guy, slightly biased to Cor and Todd, but just the the program they put together, like with the shop and the trailer, and just they in a lot of ways, you know, they're a family team. But they did a lot of things right. You know, they didn't just kind of half ass a factory program like they no, put together a we really, did really a, solid. Yeah,
1: thing. they always did a fantastic job. No, there was we had some cool sluds too. Like we had some really. I want to say that we had probably forced a little bit of the new rule. Oh, yeah. That came in with, <laughs> because we were doing sh- like shit that was so over the top. Yeah. And uh,
0: I have in my garage, mm-hmm. uh, the skins seat from those 2016. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah those those super trick sleds. <laughs> yeah. 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 No,
1: we, we had some pretty cool stuff. And like Corin Todd, there's another name that it's awesome seeing him back racing this year. And uh, he's just killing it. He's doing oh, yeah. super good. But yeah, I remember I did a snow or a um, like a ride camp out east mm-hmm. back uh, the year with Yamaha mm-hmm. and Corin showed up. He's like a young kid, 15, 16 years old, and yeah, he was ripping pretty good. And I was like, yeah, he's pretty talented. That kid's gonna definitely. You could see he was gonna make it.
0: Yeah, he's a super talented guy, and it was it was kind of interesting to watch. Like, so uh, I don't know if you know some of the the backstories of these East Coast teams, but like. Uh Ray Holton yep. ran his own factory Polaris team for years with Danny Poirier, Jake yeah. Scott, Bobby LePage and all that. And then he yeah. comes out here and does and works with Laytons with a with yeah. a New York rider at Corin Todd. Like, yeah. Super cool. Super yeah. cool. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, you you East Coasters, you stick to your own Oh man. yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh
0: yeah. But uh yeah. So I mean you you worked for for Laytons for a couple of years, and then you know they're Trevor's fighting these injuries and you can kind of see it that they're just kind of going to scale back and they're getting into, you know, Lucas oil racing and stuff like that. They're getting into that stuff. So when they step away, did you kind of know that was coming? Did they give you an advance or was it kind of like,
1: yeah, for sure. You could see the writing was on the wall and I've been around long enough to know what was yep. coming. And yeah, it was a, it was a bummer. It was like a lot of effort and a lot of work went into that program. And then to just have it go away Maybe left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth, but at the same time, it was not their fault. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't mad at them. I was just, like, bummed we never got to ride it out. And yep. I felt like we were getting our stuff pretty pretty awesome. So that was a tough one. But it was all good. I mean, nothing you could do. I think uh, that winter, we went to X Games, and we had Cole Cattu ride one of our sleds. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was an alternate. Yep, And uh, I remember how excited Cole was to be there and then be to ride one of those sleds. And then when he rode the sled, he was like, I, this is the coolest sled I've ever rode. <laughs> so then we were getting down to the end and there was like a half hour left of practice. And I was like, I filled up the sled, say, Cole, go ride this sled as much as you want. You've only got a half hour left. You're probably not going to get in. Nobody's hurt. Mm-hmm. So. He goes out and he just starts riding it for like a half hour straight. And Kyle Pauline comes over and he's like, what is that kid doing? You know, he's going to be tired. He's like, he's not racing. But he was just having so much fun out there. So he didn't want to stop. And I remember him getting off and just being like, I've never rode a snowmobile that was that good. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was cool. Yeah.
0: Is that where you... I mean, I'm, you know, you spent years working in the sport. I'm sure you knew the Cadu family, but it was like that kind of that first real Yeah, I was like a little bit of time starting to
1: know them a little bit. And then our shops weren't too far from each other. And then, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of how it all kicked back. And then when Layton's were done, I was looking for some work. And I remember Jeff saying that he had this utility business. I was like, I'll go try that, mess around with that for a little while. And then it kind of turned into... A, working for for the the snow crossing but I never started there with the snow cross program like being why I was there. Mm-hmm. It was well, I shouldn't say that. Okay. I was more or less thinking I'm going to work this summer, do the utilities and then we'll see what shakes out with the snow cross thing cuz I was kind of starting to find my way out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we the utilities thing and then that summer I'm sitting down at Club MX with Cole and he's doing some training. I was just checking up on him, seeing how he's doing. And Tucker calls me out of the blue and Tucker's like, Hey, are you, we want to hire you for a mechanic. And like on his snowcross team. And I was like, huh, that would be kind of (laughs) cool. But then I had already committed to working with Cole. Mm -hmm. And uh, I felt like I just wasn't about to turn, you know, kind of push Cole to the wayside, and I already had committed. So I had to turn uh, Tucker down on that. And But that was kind of an interesting little thing, and I actually appreciated that quite a bit because I felt like Tucker could see that there was some gain there mm-hmm. by hiring me, so that was that was cool. Oh, just what could have been in, in, <laughs> in, in, in my mind.
0: Cole is a super talented guy, but yeah. that, that would have been cool just to see you guys. I mean, because for years, what, Garth Kaufman was a mechanic for him, Danny Ebert was a mechanic, like he just – all these top-level snowcross guys, yeah. that would have been kind of cool.
1: Yeah, it would have been a neat year, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been a lot of fun. I mean, I don't know if it would have helped or hurt him or whatever, but, I mean, Tucker was so dominant anyways. Mm-hmm. But uh that would have been just a fun fun time.
0: So you roll into kind of a, a bigger support role within Kato Motorsports, more team manager style eventually, right?
1: Yeah, so going into that winter, um, I'm just trying to get Jeff – up to like a little bit higher level of program. He was, he had a pretty good program, but he also didn't have the like high-end part where getting the, the sleds prepared and getting the parts prepared and the race program kind of mm-hmm. up and rolling. That's where he was maybe lacking a little bit because um, he had a lot of like part-time help in a yep. way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anytime you can dedicate a f- someone full-time to it, it changes a lot. So then the program... It, it was good. It was solid. Like, Plaris was, you know, struggling not too bad at that point, like, compared to the Cat and the and the doo But we were competitive. Cole rode well. Mitch uh, Thielen, he rode really well. That was a lot of fun, working with Mitchie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so.
0: Yeah, Mitch Thielen, another guy, just – he – didn't have like the crazy injuries and stuff like zach mason but another guy that i still feel like had a lot of unfinished business when he finally kind of stepped away from the sport
1: yeah yeah he was he was just a hard worker Mm -hmm. he he wasn't the best racer by no means but he would always give you his heart and that Mm -hmm. was fun for sure for sure Mm -hmm. so
0: when do you kind of ultimately i don't want to say call it quits there just kind of step away from there and Cause you have a little bit of a hiatus from, from yeah, from snowcross. Yeah, so while. like
1: I spent two years with with Katu's and I was in the background trying to like find something else to do. Mm-hmm. Started looking at other businesses and stuff, and then that's when I found my my business that I bought, um, and and currently in. So once uh, kind of got things in place there, and I was very transparent the whole time with uh Missy and Jeff Katu, like they knew everything that I was doing, mm-hmm. and I couldn't commit. I was like, hey, I got after the first year i said i'm doing it one year and then i'm out and then mm-hmm. after the first year i was like okay i'm not ready to to do what i want to do yeah so we'll do another year but then after that and then even throughout that winter i was like hey this is my end day this mm-hmm. is what i'm going to do this is what's happening and jeff i think at, th- at first was trying to think that it wasn't going to happen and he just kept like sure, moving along sure, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 exactly <laughs> but uh, eventually he he did come to understand that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: uh, yeah. I mean, so let's kind of just get into that a little bit. So, what yeah. did you, you know? Now we see you back in snowcross, and we'll get into that. But what was the transition out of racing? What was the business you acquired? Like, what's what are we doing these days?
1: Yeah, a commercial cabinetry business. It's so off the wall, left wing what or left turn um, type thing. But it was, uh, I don't know. I just seen. I wanted to get a, a buy. A, I wanted to get a business or start a business or do something, and this was the option that I found. Um, and. I like building houses and building things. So I was like, I'll jump right in and do that. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's been fun. It's been good. So where are you guys based? In Wyoming, Minnesota. Okay. Okay. What's kind of your,
0: what's your bread and butter? What's the, what's the Like stuff? a school classroom. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. that
1: That's where bread and butter. That's where we <laughs> like to do rinse and repeat, do 20 rooms of that. That's perfect. Nice. Yeah.
0: So how long have you been doing that then at this point? Uh, five years. Five years. Yeah. Okay. What's it like having a. A regular life before you end up getting back into snow, but like a regular life for for a while.
1: Well, it's been good. Um, it started out as a regular, and then my son started riding dirt bikes, and then that changed everything. Cause he he's so much like me; it's crazy. He's a little prick, and he'll push you to the edge. And I was exactly like that too. Yeah. Like, but he tries super super hard, and he's not the most talented, but he's definitely the hardest working, and he's like starting to get this like there's so many things that i see back in the day like remember how i said i was so pissed at morgan racing yeah and i just those guys were never giving me a shake yeah that he's kind of like that now Mm -hmm. and ktm won't help him out and he's beating all these other factory kids and yeah and he's just not getting a fair shake but it's it's gonna make him better
0: exactly you're like i'm watching you but i'm not gonna say anything because this is i know it's heartbreaking
1: and (laughs) trust me i wish i could take some of that pain away but it's gonna be better in the long run for sure oh man yeah.
0: is so uh is Ryder here or is he at club? What's he's he... down at club. Yep, okay. Yep. He's training, riding. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. So is he basically full full-time
1: training facility guy? Like he's Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yep. not in the summer, um but in the winter months for sure yep. he spends majority of the time down there. Actually, this is the first year he's like spending majority time. Last yep. two or the year last year he spent probably 3 months down there. The year before that, he probably spent a month and a half. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it's Getting to be more and more, but his level is going up higher and higher so that it just, it's, it, you have to. Yeah, you mm-hmm. have to.
0: Yep, yeah, Especially the way the sport is these days. Yeah. Like it's, it's tough to be a, to be like a half a year riding guy. You, you can't, if you want to be top level, you can't do it. Yeah. You just can't. Not, not at that level. No. no. What, what, uh, what class is he in right now? What's his level?
1: Um, schoolboy two okay. and then like 250 B.
0: Gotcha. Okay. How old is he? 16. 16. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is he, how many more years of Loretta's is he? Do you think he has, well, or what's the plan?
1: Yeah, so that was an experience. We went there this year, and that was the first time for him oh, and really? myself. So yeah, that was a shit show. <laughs> Didn't go very good. It was super muddy. It was a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't very fun. <laughs> <laughs> it sucked. But yeah, that was a tough one for him because he just really had no clue what he was getting into. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's competing against his, like kids that have been there seven, eight times, and he hasn't even been racing that long, let mm-hmm. alone. The years that these guys have been there so it's a he's had to learn a lot in a short amount of time and his growth has been been pretty like crazy how steep it is but you can't skip the dip you know like mm-hmm. he needs to go through those moments and he had a little bit of that at minios this year too where he yeah. struggled a little bit but you know that's a tough week seven thousand racers you mm-hmm. know like that's crazy
0: yeah it's the amateur national scene is is gnarly these it's days. nuts yep. it's
1: the parents are crazy yeah.
0: And, uh, you know, they pull up in like, you know, $300,000 RVs. 300000 yeah. three hundred yeah. Like, that's a cheap one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's more, way more than that. <laughs> it's insane. And then they roll a 50 out of there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, you know, going through all this, when did you first get a call to at least maybe come back and help ISOC <coughs> in, in Snowcross? Um, Or how did I'd, it
1: start? I don't remember. Oh, no. They had like a. I think Lincoln Lemieux had got hurt mm-hmm. really bad at a race in Iowa, maybe. And they were like, we just can't have this. The tracks are shit. The safety, the this, the that, you know, all the mm-hmm. above. And Carl called me on the way back from that race. And he's like, hey, what's your thoughts of like, you know, helping with the tracks and the design and this and that? And, all? and I'm like, ah, yeah, maybe that'd be kind of fun, you know, like. Push uh, or go out for a few weekends and watch some races. And there is, I think, only five or six races left that year. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Yeah, I'm in." So go to the next few races, try to get the tracks a little better. i Feel like we did. We got some of the stuff better. Some of it, you know, it's just sometimes you can have the best track in the world and it just doesn't doesn't race, ma- doesn't, doesn't matter. Work. You, you know, know like yeah. and then sometimes you get it really good. And honestly, last weekend in Canterbury, I thought it was going to be a tough weekend, and that. Turned out pretty good. Mm-hmm. It raced well, um, even though they only can make snow one night before the event. Like it was, <laughs> yeah. it was pretty touchy how they got that done. Which Kevin from uh, ISOC, he pulled the rabbit out of his hat. He worked <laughs> hard to get that done. So, if anybody hears this and sees Kevin, you make sure you give him a pat on the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was.
0: I was one of those guys because every race series in the Midwest was canceling or pushing back everything. All yeah. the oval guys, all the cross country. And I was like, Icehawk hadn't said anything. Yeah. So I was like, mm, but I should be, you know, they, they pulled it off. They pulled yeah. it off. Yeah, they did. They really did. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, you, you designed a couple of tracks. I mean, obviously the one everybody always talks about is the, the one in Fargo for, for the all finish. That was a badass track. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like,
1: <laughs> You gave me two big groomers and a mountain of snow. Yeah, we're going to build some cool shit. And I felt like, you know, there's an example. We had a super fun track, cool track. It raced okay. Mm -hmm. It didn't race the best, but it was, it's like we have this idea in our head that the X Games had these cool, massive, the best tracks. Those races sucked. They did (laughs) not race well. They never did. Mm -hmm. There was never any action. You watch any... Any uh, X Games, the only time you had action is like old school Blair Tucker falling off at the start, and then yep. they can run through the pack. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, they were never good, I, in my opinion. The races never looked that good. It's true. I mean, the the tracks
0: were sick. If you watch a guy do a lap, 100%. the track is super cool, but everybody was always so spread out, so they never we,
1: really battled with yeah. each other. Yeah, it just never raced well. <laughs> it, you ask any rider, hey, what's the coolest track to ride? Oh, X Games. It's awesome. It's super cool. The jumps are massive. The this, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Last thing,
0: best track to ride yeah. right there. It's fun to ride. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that uh, that track in Fargo that you made like that just uh, had so many different switch lines and everything like yeah. this. And it was, again, really, really cool. But yeah, you, you never really know until you put sleds on the track. Yeah. And then the lines develop and it's yeah. just, yeah. Um, I'm curious too, this is completely off script, but you know, you raced in an era where there was no real data acquisition. And then you race into an era where there was data acquisition, and people could really figure out the fast line, more technology driven. Do you yep. think that had any effect? Has has any effect these days on
1: practice timing and people exploring different lines? Yeah, yeah, it's brought the bottom up. Yeah. is what it has done. Um, there's a little bit of a game plan of how you get up to a level, mm-hmm. and when you can have, uh, you know, all that data there, and you can get your machine taken care of first, and then you can go from there to the rider and see where he's at and what's his struggle falling off, you know, fitness, whatever, you can really hone in and make a, you know, rider pretty fast mm-hmm. real quick. When did you uh, get the opportunity to get in the booth? When did they first give you that? Um, the th- Well, so <laughs> I can a funny story. Uh, 2014. Uh, Long haul productions comes up with this whole theory or idea for a show and they do a pilot and I'm the host and the show is, I can't remember what the heck it was called, but it was like, you ever see that show diners, drive-ins and dives it's that, but with power sports. So the, the idea of this, of the show is we're going to go to Vegas. We're going to rent these dune buggies and we're going to go ride them out in the desert and we'll meet them where they're building these dune buggies and, you know try to find these characters and it was really awkward it was tough for me to do cuz i'm like the show host now mm-hmm. and i'm thinking hey this is a great avenue i'm just getting done racing my mm-hmm. knee's healing up i'm still like limping along with a torn acl and i remember um thinking oh i really want to make this thing happen and they they tried to sell it and they sold it i think it almost went it was really close mm-hmm. to the whole show going and some like cable net or not cable, but some network was going to pick it up and mm-hmm. it would have been pretty cool. So <laughs> oddball story. So that sets the tone for later when Carl's like, Hey, why don't you come into the booth and try doing some, um, some of that? Because I already had that connection there doing that TV show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, next year, Carl calls me in the, in the fall and is like, what do you think of this? I'm like, I don't know, but sure. Let's try it.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, were you scared? or did you- <laughs> I
1: wasn't scared, but I felt like this pressure to do really well. Mm-hmm. So I tried really, really hard. And to be honest with you, this year, I didn't try at all. And I didn't give a shit at all. And I just went in with like, a, I knew who the racers were. I knew who, like, the hardest thing to do is like call out a sponsor of a race team as it's happening. Mm-hmm. That's like the one thing I wish I was better at. But as long as I feel like if I get the rider right... As they're coming through the cloud of snow dust, mm-hmm. then I feel like, okay, I'm doing my part at least. But yeah, this year feels a lot better. I'm not as uptight. I just don't give a shit as much. And it seems <laughs> to be paying off, which is odd, but that's just how it is. Like anything I do, I always want to do it the best I can. So I went in last year really, really trying hard. And it, it yeah, you could tell I took a while to loosen up.
0: You know, it's tough. And I mean, I host a super small podcast in the second floor of my house, but we love the sport and there's a level of professionalism and seriousness that we're trying to bring to it we don't want to you yeah. know you know yeah snowcross is a small sport but it doesn't mean we don't deserve to have like supercross level professionalism if you will and it's it's tough it's very tough because we want to see it we want to provide it but mm-hmm. we're not like natural
1: you know announcers tv yeah. people we're not no, for <laughs> sure no no not at all yeah i don't know what um I got a little bit of practice. Back in the day, Artie Cat spent money um, on this one lady up in Thief River. She was like part of this radio show. And uh, she came in and did some coaching, mm-hmm. with interviewing and doing interviews and everything like that. And she was instrumental. She helped me because I always felt like my interviews when I was racing, I was always so serious. Yeah. Like, I wish I would, if I could change one thing. obviously I never would want to change anything, but the one thing I would change is how I was on the podium, Mm -hmm. how I was in interviews back in the day. I always thought everything mattered. Like I couldn't let my guard down. I always had to be uptight and had to be like stiff and robotic. And like, if I was not feeling comfortable that day, I wish I would have said, yeah, I don't feel like it. It, this is scaring me. This is what it is. You know, or if a guy's a dipshit or like hated racing Ross, Ross was super competitive, really good racer. And kind of rode like a dipshit a lot, but that's how he was. And as Mm -hmm. long as you knew that, and it wasn't like I, it was bad. It was just, he was a hard competitor. He was, that's how he was. And I didn't care for some of his moves, but at the same time, he probably didn't care for some of mine either, but we were just, uh, you know, both at the top trying Mm -hmm. to fight our way through.
0: Yeah. And it gets lost. I mean, that's, you ask any guy who was at a top level who now Shows a lot of personality. They're like, yeah. God, I really should have shown it when I was racing. Yeah. you know, they all say that. They mm-hmm. all say that. And you know, I shouldn't. Uh, I shouldn't say this because it's going to immediately say the date that I recorded this. But last night, Aaron Plessinger gets his first Supercross win, and the whole sport is so stoked for the guy because he's got personality. They just love the guy. If
1: you're watching racing in that race and you you see Aaron Plessinger and you have an ability or a chance to get on a podium and get a microphone thrown in front of you, do what he does. Because mm-hmm. if you do that, you will have more fans than anybody else. If mm-hmm. you sit up there and you thank your stupid sponsor and this and that, and everybody knows what brand you're on, everyone knows all the other stuff, you show us a little bit of personality, you will win 10 times over. And mm-hmm. that sponsor that sponsors you, that you have to say, will actually win in the long run. Big time. So... All you kids out there listening to this, <laughs> if you hear, uh, or if you have a chance to say something on the podium, the last thing you should worry about is your sponsor. The first thing you should always worry about is how can you connect and how can you say something that's from the heart. Thousand percent, thousand percent.
0: Yeah, it's definitely something I think we're we're lacking a little bit in in snowcross. I think we're we're we have a couple. There's a couple really good guys that show their personality, but I think it's it's always been a struggle for us. Our superstars mm-hmm. are always just out there trying to win, trying to do their best, and
1: very serious. But, yeah, well. Well, I tell you what we have right now is Elias starting to let that guard down. Yep. He's getting better. Um Emohar, he's super funny because he says nothing. Yep. Which is kind of funny, but he needs to be better. He needs to just let it rip mm-hmm. and not be so corporate. Um Cody's good. He mm-hmm. can – you know he does the the surfer talk type thing like oh I didn't know I'm like whatever that's Cody, but um what I think like with Crayton Dillon he's mm-hmm. definitely the juggernaut there, I think he can bring in some personality because he is a goofball, oh, yeah super goofy, and that will uh, that'll be good, um but like a uh, um Jordan Labelle mm-hmm. he needs to be the one that is the oddball goofball I yep. think, I think he he needs. I need him to be like personality way more, say what he feels, he could be the whoever, but he's going to be up there and he's going to have to uh, get a lot of interviews and he'll be the one that can make a difference, I think. I don't know if it's in him, but we'll find out. Well, it's interesting you watch, a lot of these guys have vlogs these days, you know,
0: c Tax has got one, Dominic Hegman mm-hmm. has one now, mm-hmm. and you see the guys during the week and they're hilarious. Like at the practice track, super right. goofy, super yeah. hilarious. But as soon as it's race day, mm-hmm. it shuts off and it's unfortunate. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I would agree. I think, I think if LaBelle can, we kind of need that, you know, issue is probably eyeing up what his retirement's going to look like over the next couple of years. We're yeah. wait, we need that net. We're waiting on that next guy. And I mm-hmm. think if that next guy is able to have a lot of personality, it's going right. to bring a lot to the sport. Yeah, no, I agree.
1: I think it'd be a good thing for it for sure. What's your favorite thing about working in the booth? I'm not outside. <laughs> like Canterbury would have sucked to be outside. So cold. I'm getting soft and as I get older, man. I hate the cold weather. It's uh, not my favorite at all. I just, yeah, being inside. And then I think the thing that I'm having more fun with this year than ever before is uh, I'm calling it as I see it more from a, not a, a person or um from my 100% my perspective. I'm not trying to like be kind to anybody. I'm not trying to be a jerk to anybody. I'm just trying to be like real deal. This is why this person rode like an asshole or he's doing this or mm-hmm. that because he is having, you know, sometimes these riders have mental breakdowns out on the track. Mm-hmm. And you can watch them make a really dumb decision because they're having a they're freaking out inside their helmet. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to call that out.
0: A question I got for you. And I may clip it in case it's going to get you in trouble too. But I always have this—I've always had this beef with snowcross for years. Mm-hmm. Um, back when when Mike Schroeder, Chris Hockey were in there, yeah, is I'm a fan of the sport. I can see if uh, I can see the Christian Brothers number 43 got the whole shot. Right. I can see it plain as day. I don't need to wait for the timing and scoring loop to tell me that Logan Christian is yeah. out front. Are you required to wait for that? Because, like, I know you,
1: when you're... You, Robbie and Oscar, yeah. watching the race. You know who's out front. Yeah. You can see the guy. So, I'll, oh, let me ask you this. Am I able to talk when that's happening and say that it's not, you know, like... Or is there quiet? Is it all quiet at that point? Yeah. Or... Okay. Because, like, sometimes I, I we only get to see from the TV monitor. Yes. Right? Yes. I'll kind of sneak and watch a little bit from the corner of my eye, but... Typically, I'm trying really hard to call it before it even happens. Yes. And try to get ahead of it uh, and and be there. But if I'm not able to say it, it's not because I don't know or because I don't want to. It's because I literally can't tell okay. who it is. Okay. Uh, but for the most part, I feel like I'm getting them pretty early. Canterbury well, was better.
0: Well, I just mean like generally mm-hmm. speaking because I look at you – know you're – a racer yeah you know that you you know who the guys are on the track you're not like brought in talent that you don't know who these guys are yeah so you can usually see plain as day like as long as the camera's following it and you're watching that monitor you know who that guy is out front you don't need for you don't need to wait for the timing loop and scoring to come back and tell you who that guy is
1: yeah no i agree with you 100 on that Mm -hmm. and i try to get it uh, uh, and get rid of that but you know it one thing that i'll tell you on the radio side or on the uh, announcing side is the you get a lot of chatter in your mm-hmm. ear as you're talking. And that is like my biggest challenge mm-hmm. is trying to carry a conversation or a thought or a word to get it out while they're talking and say, Oh, we're going to go to this replay or this or that, whatever. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a little bit of a challenge there, but I'm getting, I guess a little more comfortable with it. Don't worry. I will emphasize to anybody. It's way harder than, Oh no, think it is. no, 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 <laughs> you know, but no, I agree. <laughs> like I'll sit there and I'll listen back to a race or something. I'm like, ah. Eh, Kind of screwed that up, kind of screwed that up. But, you know, it's a, it's, I feel like this year is better than last year. So that's the right, you know, direction to go. And
0: I think it's great. We rarely get to have full time guys in the booth that were former riders. You know, in Moto, it's an expectation. In NASCAR, it's an expectation. In Snow, we don't get that very often. Yeah. So it's really nice to have a rider's perspective in there.
1: Trust me, there's been a lot of races like in the past and you'd have some of these guys in there and they have no clue what the hell they're talking about. And the stuff they would say, you're just like, okay. Like (laughs) I remember even doing a few interviews or uh, announcing and some of the, I think it was Scott rain and Scott's a super good guy, really good guy. Uh, but he would say something and I would just call it up like, no, that's not right at all. (laughs) And I was just like, I don't care. I'm not going to be nice like that. You can't say that because you're so far off base. It's, uh, it's not true. So, I mean, I'm,
0: I'm part of the problem, but the, the listener base and, and Ryers were ruthless. To announcers oh like yeah. super motocross oh, yeah. supercross is the same they mm-hmm. do not cut anybody any slack no it, so it's 100 <laughs> percent.
1: no and that's uh um, probably why i you know last year i felt like i needed to be so perfect and had to say the right thing or whatever and then now just not giving as many you know f's it's like it's better this mm-hmm. way for me anyway
0: mm-hmm. well like i said earlier, i think you do a good job no oh, thank it's you a, it's, a, yeah. it's a tough gig and yeah. it's always the, the peanut gallery at a home that wouldn't have the balls to try it is yeah. the ones who are going to critique you. So yeah. I, I hear you. So let's get into our uh, our Woody's Would You Rather segment. All right. So I'm going to give you two things that suck, two scenarios that suck. Okay. And you got to pick which one you'd rather do, and you got to justify it. Okay. So would you rather design a track, but you only have man-made snow? It's not like it is right now, right. but it's a decent snow year. Or you have to announce a race, but you don't have any rider roster. So you might know some of the guys, you might not know some of the guys.
1: Okay, is it a pro race? Yeah, pro race. Okay, oh uh, yeah, no rider roster. Um, that's easy. Yeah, I can cover that. Um, <laughs> like you start getting down in the lower classes, then I struggle. Oh um, yeah, yeah, and then like uh, mispronouncing names—that's always like a fear of mine. So I, I hate that. I hate having to call out if I'm not comfortable knowing exactly how to pronounce their name. That's that's a challenge. But yeah, making man-made snow—that's not a big deal. Yeah.
0: Uh, Canterbury in January or Club MX in August.
1: (laughs) It's miserably hot down there, but honestly, you can always find shade. Canterbury (laughs) in January can be some of the coldest weather. And honestly, it's just because of the humidity. I think it feels so much colder there. Mm -hmm. Always does. This year, it was miserable. Oh God, it was. It was really cold. So. Yeah, I'd probably go down club.
0: (laughs) I know uh, Casey, who does a bunch of the media and video work for ISOC, he did snow cross on Saturday and then went up to Pine Lake for the cross country race the next day when it was like negative 15 without wind chill on the lake.
1: Oh, (laughs) man. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, and we get some cold weather in the wintertime. So I know all about cold weather for sure.
0: So, on a modern-day snow cross track, 2024, right, uh, race on an 04 Snow Pro or your fully tricked 07 Nitro? And you got to hit the jumps. You can't roll everything.
1: Yeah, probably that 04. Mm-hmm. The Nitro would be fine, too. It was just a big sled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the one that I actually rode, was it was pretty cumbersome. It wasn't the easiest, but... Yeah. I Honestly, no. I'm going to go with the Yamaha because just the sound. <laughs> think sounded so cool. For sure. So, Tim Hortons,
0: but you can't get any Timbits, or Chipotle, but you can't get guac. Ah,
1: uh, Chipotle. Yeah? Tim Hortons is trash. Wow. It's, not, it's no good anymore. That's a hot take. No, no, it's not <laughs> what it used to be. Back in the day, Tim Hortons was good. It is garbage now. No way. <sighs> I, uh... Grew up in Vermont. Yeah, so and, you had Tim Hortons.
0: Yeah, I uh, I went to high school in southern Quebec. So <laughs> I uh, grew up on Tim Hortons quite a bit. And yeah, try- and I did too, and yeah. I liked it. Mm-hmm. But it's
1: not the same, mm-hmm. is it?
0: I don't think so. Not yeah, anymore. Not anymore. It's, it's, it's tough. I tried to explain to people who like Dunkin' Donuts. I'm like, nah, you didn't have like late 90s, early 2000s
1: Tim Hortons. You yeah. understand. Yeah, no, that was our go-to. That was always a pretty staple. Yeah. All right, last one for you. Make a
0: pro-am plus 30 comeback next season or do a 30 plus two
1: against Ryder. <laughs> okay. Well, there's one certainty, and that is I'm not coming back to do a 30 plus. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, yeah. The 30 plus two for man, that would be miserable. I would not enjoy myself there. And he's starting to get like pretty good fitness. Mm-hmm. He's 16, starting to really. Um, you know, get his his body in check. So it's yeah, he would that would be miserable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we'll roll into a couple last questions for you. I don't want to keep you all oh, day, but uh,
1: so I thought you were gonna hit me with some hard ones. You like came at me with this like, oh, it's gonna be tough. Uh, it's that I'm over here. I mean, usually, so
0: he here's here's my thought process when I was going through these. Usually, I give like really really difficult like mechanic ones where it's like. You have to stud a track,
1: but you can't use any power tools, or like you have to uncrate a sled. But- okay, I got a funny story about a uh, the mechanical side of st- studding a track. So we race that year with Pluggy in 02, and my brother, Rusty, comes down to help. <clears throat> so we race at the Fargo Dome. We leave the Fargo Dome Saturday night, probably one in the morning, drive all the way to Fergus or Thief River because they're doing a little snow cross race mm-hmm. well we had all the studs taken out of our tracks to race mm-hmm. at the indoor so we're driving down the highway <laughs> pluggy and my brother russ are in the trailer at like 1 in the morning and they're restudding the tracks as the truck is bouncing and <laughs> we pull in there and my brother opens the door and he's bleeding his hands are covered in blood because the studs every time you hit a bump yeah. or slump, you'd scratch the crap out of his hands so, um, yeah, it just made me think of that. And it was Woody, Woody's studs. That was a staple back then. So we had Woody's studs all the way back there. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. If, uh, Rick T.D., if you're listening, you, you, you tore up, uh, Robbie's
0: brother. That's how good your products are. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> definitely.
0: Uh, so some of these last ones. So most talented teammate you've ever had in snowcross
1: uh doesn't have to be the one who won the most yeah just the guy who's talented you know darren meese was really talented Mm -hmm. like super super talented he was up there i would definitely have him trevor john was really good um yeah talent wise Mm -hmm. for sure
0: uh most talented rider you've worked with in your team manager years
1: uh corin cole cole's really talented Cole's a... Cole's raw talent. He's just he's a just, goofball, man. Yeah. He's hard to keep your finger on. But, yeah, Cole's super talented and Corin And, Matt, you know, Zach Zach was really good too, but, you know, his size was a disadvantage. Trevor, he was really good, but his size was a little bit of a disadvantage until we got him in shape. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Okay, okay. Favorite race sled you've had of all time? year and make. That 05 Articat was really good. The 12 Ski-Doo XP, or that would have been, not XP, that would have been the next gen. 12, it was still XP. Was it? Yeah. Okay. XS was 14. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that 12 Ski-Doo was really, really good. I mean, that was, we were competing against Plaris and Ross, and that sled was really, really strong at that point. And then Tucker... And obviously Tucker's program was really strong. And we were, I felt we were in the hunt Mm -hmm. really, really good. I think that was, yeah, in 12, I literally never made one suspension change the entire year. We would change it and try it and it would never be as good. And our line was always, we stayed there the entire year. Mm -hmm. Like we'd try, oh, let's try a click here, there, right back to the base. Yeah. It was all Fox shocks. It was... That was the sled that Tim wanted to come over and ride. So that's, yeah, that's the one. And it literally was that good. We didn't change it. So, sorry,
0: jumping around. <gasps> no. That next year then, because 13, you guys basically got, because it was still still open, pro open, yep. as open as it was allowed to be. But you guys basically, you had the plastics, because like you guys got it, Boss Racing got it. You guys had like the plastics of what would be the 14. Was your 13 sled basically what the 14 sled was going to be yeah basically okay okay
1: yeah it was from what i remember yeah yeah. okay Mm -hmm. so was that
0: 13 was that a was that a good sled that year
1: yeah or was it still no it was good yeah it wasn't too far off our 12 yeah it was pretty much the same thing gotcha okay Mm -hmm. okay these days who's your favorite rider to watch in snowcross oh lias is pretty much up there i'm into anybody like so ekri DJ Heckery, you know yeah. that name? Yep. Mm-hmm. So me and him, we were there watching from the beginning of when Elias came over. And we would be like, we were fanboys of Elias. Because he was so out of control, but so eager to get into the throttle. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit, this kid is different. And you could just see it. It was like, he, but he man, he made a lot of mistakes. Oh, and yeah. He crashed a lot. And definitely... Uh, you know you can see it now like he's a lot more calculated definitely a lot more dialed in and but yeah we would watch him he would definitely be the top to watch you know he's starting to get into that era of like blair and tucker he's not even starting he is in he that is era. there oh, yeah. and uh yeah like he's they're special like you could put tucker on a sled any sled and he was gonna win and blair same thing and elias like you could put him on anything. People are be like, "Oh, you can never win on an Articat right now." You put Elias on an Cat; he's winning, for sure.
0: Oh yeah, and it's it's unfortunate because you know, if let's just say hypothetically he steps away in, in a year or two, he's gonna. Ha- I mean, he's gonna be up there with these all-time guys for championships. He's got more championships than a lot of guys that we consider like yeah. all-time greats and stuff like that. Yeah. But maybe it's just because I'm a, I'm getting old. He we just don't view him that way yet. Maybe yeah. in a couple of years we will, but we just don't. It's like you can't call it greatness when you're witnessing it. It's yeah, like one of those deals it takes
1: a little bit to like. Yeah, they always said uh, Ryan Dungey. You don't realize how good or Villapoto, how mm-hmm. sneaky good those guys were. Mm-hmm. Like they don't. You don't say Carmichael and Dungey. Yep. But you now you can like well they're not far. Yeah, exactly. It's in the realm. So yeah, it's um kind
0: of probably what's happening. Yeah, it's just gonna be weird. Like I, my hot take. Is gonna be that he'll he'll probably end up in the Hall of Fame at some point in time in, in Snowcross. At least I hope so. I sure but, would
1: think so, yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure.
0: Uh yeah. I mean, we kind of chatted on it earlier. Just I mean, we see you in the booth, you're got the carpentry business, like
1: just kind of just kind of living the living the dream these days. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, living the dream. Yeah, it's been fun. Just chasing rider around with the bikes. My daughter, she does uh, barrel racing with horses. So it's like we're <laughs> racing, and it's so funny when you do barrel racing because we're Treat it the same as like snowmobiles or dirt bikes or whatever, trying to get around the barrels. So we're working apexes and trying to try to get better there. Do you
0: uh do you ride moto in the summer or anything, or are you just kind of like yeah 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 you? I
1: race a lot of moto. I actually went to Loretta's this year. Did you really? It. Yeah, it was. Well, I didn't do very good. I trained and was like doing really well up until a month before it, and then I got busy with work and kind of just yeah it was a lot. What but class did you race? 40 plus. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So you didn't have to, you didn't have to race like Kiefer and. Yep, and Kiefer. Oh, you yeah, did? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kiefer and Brownie and all those guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. First
1: race, I lined up right with Kiefer. <sighs> yeah. Poor guy. Poor guy. You, just, I mean. Oh, I, I was, just, was so out of my depth <laughs> there. Like I had about top 15 speed and I probably, if i had a good race, I would have been maybe, you know, smelling around the 10th spot. Yeah. But, uh yeah I wasn't training. I was drinking more beer than I probably should have been <laughs> going into that, and but I didn't really care. I was going because Ryder was going there for this first time, so
0: yep, yeah, no, it's it's funny. It's very like controversial about that class' because it's like you know Brownie's in there. uh Fro comes back and they go race that class every. It's like, yeah. <sighs> people get annoyed
1: at these these former oh. pros, but it's like where are they, what are they gonna do? Yeah, like what are they gonna do? Yeah, I don't know. i I thought it was I mean, it is what it is. I think it's funny. How <clears throat> how competitive Brownie is. Mm-hmm. And I almost read it as like um, like something's not right with – Not like <laughs> – I mean more on the – like he hasn't let go of mm-hmm. his – Like he's so competitive still. Mm-hmm. It seems like he's chasing some dragon mm. in a way. Mm. I, maybe I'm way off on lunch <laughs> of that one, but – Someone do- shouldn't have that much desire to race that hard that crazy um that far out but you know whatever he's having fun it's cool to watch he's yeah. super talented but
0: uh I mean I I couldn't even imagine doing some of the riding he does and I'm I'm only
1: 28 I can already feel it <laughs> <laughs> 28 yeah <laughs> yeah well, uh, 40s different ball game yeah yeah you'll feel it for sure <sighs> looking but, forward to it looking forward to it
0: yeah <laughs> Well, cool. We can uh, wrap it up for you, Robbie. Again, I I really appreciate you coming down and joining us in studio. And like I said, a lot of people have requested, and I'm like, he's coming. I I promise, it's it's, <laughs> it's coming. He's got some cool stories. So appreciate all you've done for the sport, and then still these days being involved and giving us some good some good calls in the booth. So I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a good time. Absolutely,
0: Robbie Malinowski on the Carbide Podcast. I was so sick. So many topics I've wanted to cover with people for years and to be able to do it with a guy like Robbie, unreal. Big thanks to Robbie for coming in and for the great conversation. You can easily see why people still love having him around the sport. Big thanks to Woody's for all of their support. I think Rick's hands are covered in paper cuts from all the stud of the week awards he's been sending out so it's awesome to have that level of support in the sport. Be sure to subscribe. Check out the merch store. I do a terrible job of promoting it but we have super nice hoodies and tees to represent your favorite snowmobile podcast. Thanks for all of your support. Tell your friends, and as always, take care.